0: Morning, everyone. I'd like to say that we are starting the book of John, but if you were here on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, you know we already have started the book of John. So if you are looking for the first 18 verses preached, then I would encourage you to go to our website or our YouTube channel, and you will see those two messages, Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, and that introduces us to the book of John. So today we're actually picking up on verse 19 of chapter 1, uh, starting in uh, the Gospel of John. And the overarching theme of the Gospel of John is about Jesus, who is our king, our God-king, overcoming. Overcoming is a major theme in the book of John. We already saw in verse 5 that he overcomes darkness. And later on in chapter 16, we're going to see that he overcomes the world. So a question for us, and we don't answer this like we did in Ecclesiastes, but the question for us every week is going to be something along the lines of what do you need Jesus to overcome in your life now? What does he need to overcome? How does he need to prove and show to you that he is indeed the God King for you today? What does he need to overcome? He's already told us he overcomes darkness and he overcomes the world. Do you know that Christ can overcome Politics? Do you know that he can overcome divisions? Do you know that he can overcome rotten relationships? Do you know that he can even overcome me? He can overcome you. He can overcome death itself. He can overcome every enemy that he's ever had. He can overcome every disappointment you've ever had. He can overcome every fear you have. He can overcome every uncertainty and unknown you have. He can overcome loneliness that you might have. He can overcome how your parents treated you. He can overcome how you treated your kids or your parents. He can overcome the world and everything that it has to throw at you. And he can even overcome the powers of darkness. He is in the business of overthrowing the powers of this world and the disappointments and pains and sorrows of this world. He is in the business of being your God-King today. This is not simply history that one day was written about some guy who had an experience and they wrote it down and then we get encouraged by it because it's a neat story of overcoming tough circumstances. No, This book is so much more than just a record of history. It is living history, and God expects you as his children to engage with him as your God and Christ as your king. Every person that we're going to meet in the book of John, every story, every event, every word that Christ speaks is going to be vitally important to you. Because he is going to demonstrate every single week how he lives today to be your God King. And nothing you face can overcome him, defeat him, hurt him, frustrate him, or in any way disappoint him. He is in the business of being for you, the God-King that overcomes. Are you ready to start looking at this book? Are you ready to start investing in this book? Are you ready to start being convicted by this book? Can I get an amen? We all like the happy parts, but are you ready to be convicted? Are you ready to be put on your knees before a holy God and you have to admit, holy, holy, holy is my Lord God Almighty. Are you ready to behold held? the eternal nature of Jesus Christ. Are you ready to behold his compassion? His compassion for the outcast, his compassion for the homeless, his compassion for the unclean, his compassion for the sinner. I cannot wait to see that because I am that outcast. I am unclean. I am a sinner. I need to see him overcoming that sin. I need to see him overcoming that pride. I need him to... I need to see him overcoming that self-confidence that I place in myself. I need him to overcome. I know you need him to show you the same thing. And we're going to start today in a story that may be somewhat familiar to you. Uh, Could be, especially if you've been in God's Word for any amount of time. You've talked about, seen and read and heard about his baptism about his anointing by God, and it's super important to understand from the very beginning that Jesus was not baptized because he needed to demonstrate he had to get rid of sin. You see, we are baptized because we need to demonstrate to the world that I'm dependent upon Christ as my Savior. Christ was not baptized for the remission of sins. He did not need to get cleansed before God before he was accepted because he is God. He never sinned. So his baptism is different and unique compared to ours. And we're going to see that on display because it anoints him as king and shows him as our Lord, and it demonstrates how even in the simple things he overcomes every adversity. And the beautiful thing, and this is super, super important, we have the tendency When we've had a difficult day of doing stuff, to be tired the next day. True? I was just talking to someone this morning who had been working a lot, renovating a room, and they're sore and tired. And that happens to every one of us. We get sore and tired. We get worn out emotionally and mentally and physically. We get worn out from striving. And this is what is beautiful, and this is what is centrally important, Jesus never experiences a tired day. He never experiences, oh, this is this is too hard, or, oh, I'm exhausted, I can't do it again, or, oh, I need my sleep, or I need my rest, or I need an aspirin or a, a, a Tylenol to get me through this. He does not experience a lack of power and ability. We do, all the time. We lack power and ability all the time. Jesus doesn't. And that is why he can promise to you that he is your overcoming God King at all times. Now, we're starting in uh, John chapter 1, verse 19 through 23, and looking at the identity of john the baptist who is this guy we heard a little bit about him already in chapter one and or at the beginning of chapter one just little bits and tittles of it Uh, but here we see a little bit more explanation about who john is and what is happening well let me just read these verses then i'll get into what is happening Uh, verse 19 of john chapter one and uh beg my pardon if i once in a while at the beginning of this series keep referencing solomon because he's still in my mind I'm still going to be thinking about Ecclesiastes. I'm still going to be thinking about how wisdom is correctly applied, biblical knowledge. So if I make that slip up, um, it's uh, it's on purpose. Uh, Just to keep us, um, uh, to make sure that everybody is on the same page here in the book of John. So it's on purpose if I make the name slip ups. Uh, So John the Baptist, which we see in verse 19, is not the same person as the name John that the book is written about or written from. John who wrote the book is the Apostle John. John the Baptist and his name, last name was not Baptist. We just identify him as John, who was the guy who was doing baptisms. Um, two totally different people, totally different purposes that they served in God's kingdom. And this is the testimony of John in verse 19. Well, I pretty much already said that. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed... I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. And so they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah Said. The other gospels tell us, uh, Matthew and Luke, that there was this guy who was kind of in the wilderness by the Jordan River, miles away from Jerusalem, um, making a ruckus, really, telling people that they had to repent of their sin. And thousands upon thousands of people were rushing out of Jerusalem to this guy who was not well dressed, kind of lived in the wilderness, kind of had a weird diet just kind of one of those weird old men that you always tell your kids, eh, just leave so-and-so alone, they're, they're, they're on their own. And so all of Jerusalem, the leadership in particular, were seeing this guy bringing in thousands and thousands of people to his message. And they were confused because they were like, he's not a rabbi, we have no idea who he is, he's not a Levite, well actually he is a Levite, but he wasn't a priest and he certainly wasn't um, a Sadducee or or a a Pharisee. Who is this guy? No schooling, no knowledge of him, but he's getting thousands of people to listen to this message about repenting. And then he's baptizing them. And baptism is not an unusual thing for Jews in the Old Testament. That was a custom. Baptism was not just a brand-new New Testament idea. It was established in the Old Testament as well for different reasons. And so baptizing wouldn't have been a brand new thing, but this guy was baptizing thousands and thousands of people. And they were Jews. Usually they baptized Gentiles who became Jewish, but this guy was actually baptizing Jewish people. So it was really confusing to the leaders. So they simply sent out a group of guys saying, hey, go find out who this guy is. So they go to John and they are wondering: who are you? Whose name? Whose power? Whose authority are you doing these things? Who gave you permission to do this? Basically, show us how you get all these people to follow you and listen to your message, because it's certainly not happening in their synagogues and in the temple during these days, because the prophets or the priests and the Levites and all of the Sadducees and Pharisees, as Christ describes them, had no truth to present, and they were boring as all get out. No one wanted to listen to them. But this guy is bringing in thousands, so they want to know who is he. And he tells them point-blank, I'll tell you three things that I'm not. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not that promised one that you're hoping that I am to bring you freedom from the slavery you might have from the Romans or even from the slavery of sin. But they weren't thinking of sin. They were thinking of political freedom. And he says, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the appointed one. I'm not the one who's going to be anointed by God to forgive the sins of the world. I'm not that savior you're looking for. I'm not him. Because he might have been. Because he had a message very similar about repenting and bringing people back to true worship of God. But John was not the Christ, the Messiah. Then they thought, well, maybe he's Elijah. No, I'm not Elijah. Because Elijah was translated into heaven through the fiery chariots, never saw death, one of two people that never died a physical human death, Enoch in Genesis and Elijah in uh, Kings chapter, or 2 Kings chapter, um, oh, that's going to bug me. Now oh, someone will tell me afterwards, maybe chapter 2, chapter 18, uh, somewhere there in 2 Kings, something is happening there, and Elijah gets translated up to heaven. So the prophecy is in Malachi and in uh, Deuteronomy that there would be, Elijah and a prophet that would both come testifying to the veracity and truthfulness of the Messiah's message. And so he has to tell him, I'm neither one of these guys. I'm not Elijah, and I'm not one of the prophets that are coming. I'm just simply a guy who is making right, making ready, making straight the path to the Lord. Ah when I moved here, when my family moved here a number of years ago, I had one goal in mind when I moved here. Well, I'm talking about buying a house. I had one goal in mind. If I'm moving to Colorado, I have to be able to wake up and see the mountains, okay? I don't want to live in Pueblo proper because uh, there's all these trees and they're never green anyway, but you see all this stuff, and you don't get to see the mountains. And if I was moving to Colorado, I wanted to see the mountains. And so I told Kirk, who helped us find a house, I said, one requirement. It's got to be a house, but I don't want, I want to be able to see the mountains. And uh, as I started looking at houses with Kirk, I remember telling Sarah, who was still in Cincinnati at the time, I said, hey, we're looking at these houses. What are they like? Don't know what it's like. And I mentioned one time that, oh, we had to take a dirt road to get to the house. I grew up in Chicago. Sarah grew up in Los Angeles. I saw dirt roads one place on old Western movies in black and white on TV. (laughs) I had never seen. I'd never been on a dirt road. Well, maybe I had a cousin who lived in Missouri on a dirt road or something. But I mean, it was like I never experienced dirt roads. So I start telling Sarah about this, and she goes, I remember how you had one requirement when you move, we get a house that you see the mountains. She goes, I'm adding a second requirement to that no dirt roads. I have counted seven chips in my car windows because I have had to travel on dirt roads in Pueblo West. Dirt roads are not ideal. They are destructive to your car, They're dirt, they get your car dirty, everything is just dust and dirt and potholes, and I know we experience potholes everywhere, but this is bad, really bad on dirt roads. You know what, and if you live on a dirt road, I'm not trying to you know, diminish the value of your home and the experience of dirt roads for you, but I think part of civilization is that you have indoor plumbing, and you have paved roads you get that and i think you are on the road to having a great mature advanced civilization john actually believes in what i believe because his goal according to isaiah his goal is that he is a voice crying in the wilderness preparing the way of the lord make straight in the desert a highway for our god he knew he was supposed to by his words and actions chart a path that was solid and definable and discernible and noticeable and safe, that this is how we are going to get to God. And his message is one of repent. Stop and change what you are doing and do the opposite. If you are loving yourself, stop it and love God. If you are holding a grudge, stop it and forgive. If you are angry, stop it and show happiness and compassion and love. He was making clear how to approach God and how to approach him first and foremost is to humble yourself, to acknowledge you are not the God of your life. You are not the king of your life. You are not the Lord of your life. He is. And John's message was to make that clear everyone would hear, to all of Jerusalem. They're coming out in droves and thousands upon thousands to hear this message that the Messiah is coming. He's not the Messiah, but he is coming. And his job is to make you ready for his entrance, to make you ready for that message of the gospel where there's not just repentance, but there's forgiveness in that repentance. And there's restoration in that repentance. And the ransom is paid in that repentance. And there is help in that repentance. And God gives us his spirit to have the strength to repent and live a life that is holy and godly unto him. It is a message of hope that John is bringing. Yes, he's using this real harsh word, repent and change. You're not okay the way you naturally are. You're not fine. You're not getting better on your own. And John was there to say, all of this is true, but the good news is there was someone coming who is really good at overcoming you and making you right with God. And so he lets everyone know who he is and who he isn't. He's not the Savior. He's just simply a road maintenance guy who's making a really good road so that everyone has clarity that when the God-King that overcomes walks down it, that we would recognize him, that we would be unhindered in approaching him, that we could follow him with safety and clarity, that we would be able to follow and worship our King as he overcomes the world, and as he overcomes darkness. John has more in his life that's going on at this very same moment. In verse 24 through 28, some of the activity that he's doing. So now they had been sent from the Pharisees, these guys asking John who he is, he answers who he is, he gives his identity, and then they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? So they're confused. Why is this guy still hammering this message of repent and then baptizing people down by the Jordan? And so John answered him and said, I'll tell you why I'm doing exactly what I'm doing. Not only am I making straight the path to God, making it clear who the Savior is, who the Messiah is, who this God King that overcomes is, but I'm doing it for this reason as well. Verse 26, John answered them and said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So John says, I'm baptizing with water. I have this message. I have this clear path that I am making so that everyone would know who Christ is. I'm not the Christ. And the guy who's coming after me, if you think I have some kind of magical strength and power and persuasion over people, you've got no idea who's coming after me. Because the guy who's coming after me, who I am talking about, I cannot even untie his sandals. I am so unworthy. See, we probably don't have a lot of connection with that cultural significance in our day and age because when you come over to our house, I don't untie your shoes and put them you know, to the side, wash your feet and do all that kind of stuff. It's not part of our culture. Back in that day, though, that was part of the culture. And the person that did that was the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of the house slaves or the youngest of the children, one of the two. So John is saying, the guy that's coming after me, I'm not even worthy being a slave or a servant or a young child to. He is so much bigger and greater and better than I am. You guys are going to be totally shocked when he arrives on the scene. And you don't even know him. You don't know who I'm really talking about. You still have this confusion in your mind. I'm sure John is looking at this going, they still think, And Jesus had to fight this every step of his ministry. He had to fight this idea that Israel and God was all about nationalism, saving the nation of Israel as a nation. See, Jesus did not come to save the nation of Israel as a nation against the Roman invasion and occupation. He came to save the individual over the occupation and invasion and slavery due to sin. And so John says, you guys don't even know what I'm talking about. You don't even know who I'm talking about. You are so far removed from what really is happening here. And I imagine there's a bit of John that had just a little bit of sorrow. That the people who were commanded to guard the law and teach the law and and meditate upon the law and take it to the nations. You see, Israel was never charged, keep it to yourself, Hide it among the borders of Israel. No, they were commanded, go, evangelize. Evangelism is not a brand new New Testament idea. God's people from the very beginning were supposed to tell others about the majesty of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the promises that God made to them. And they were called to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Israel lost that message that singular focus, and it all became traditions, legalism, law, stuff, do this, don't do that, and they were very good, and you can almost see this in maybe some of the interactions with these people in John, you could see they were really good at judging, oh, they knew how to judge, you think you might know how to judge, oh, these people, they they didn't even have to take a look at you, they could just think, oh, they're from there, judge them, oh, they're from there, oh, judge them, They look like that? Oh, judge them. That's their name? Oh, judge them. That's an accent? Judge them. That's the kind of donkey they'd walk with? Oh, judge them. That's the store they go shopping at? Judge them. Oh, they were really, really good at judging. They were so much better uh, than us at judging. What's interesting here, and uh, the guys are going through a Bible study right now on Wednesday nights about understanding scripture how to read and understand scripture kind of studently um, but one of the principles that the 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 person presenting these videos is talking about is this cultural and geographical significance of what's going on in scripture that you should know something about names of places where they are some of the geography because that's going to help us greatly understand what's happening what's beautiful is in this last verse of this section, verse 28, we have an amazing geographical clue that has incredible spiritual and historical significance. I don't know if you caught it, but it says in verse 28, these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Is this ringing any bells for anybody? What's the significance of John being across the Jordan, which means he's on the east side of the Jordan River, east side of the Jordan River, where there wasn't a lot of Jewish settlements and Jewish land and Jewish promises. Those were all on the west side of the Jordan, where Joshua and Caleb took Israel across the Jordan River to take on the first battle the battle of jericho which is right across the river from bethany they were two competing towns on opposite sides of the river and in this kind of imagery and historical and geographical context what you see is you have john on the other side of the promised land and he is about ready to bring entrance of the messiah into the promised land He's starting his ministry outside the promised land, and the person going into the promised land is the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's Jesus Christ himself. There's incredible significance on where this is happening and why it is happening there. And everyone in Israel should have been clued in on, hold it, this is just like the story in the book of Joshua, where Joshua is amassing The entirety of Israel and God is going to part the waters and they're going to walk through and they're going to take on Israel. I mean, take on Jericho, and the walls are going to fall. You see, even that story in Joshua isn't about the simple conquest of the Israelites into the promised land. It's pointing directly to what the work of the God King, Savior Jesus Christ, was going to do when he entered into the promised land to announce his victory over the slavery of sin that his own people had engaged in. You see, every word, every mention of a town and mention of a name can have great significance, all pointing back to Jesus. See, John is starting his ministry outside of the promised land, and the person walking into the promised land for victory and conquest is none other than Jesus Christ. And here he enters. Verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. That is, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, before me, uh, be- because he is before me. Oh, let me start that all over again. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I have said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel, that he might make way the straight path, that he might make it clear how to reach him, how to see him, how to notice him how to approach him. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. That was the pinnacle of John the Baptist's ministry. Everything about John the Baptist from this moment forward in history goes downhill until his martyrdom, until he's murdered. But he had the opportunity. He was blessed by God with that spot and position to declare to all of Israel and to us today, this Jesus Christ is absolutely unique. He is the one who will enter into the promised land from the far side of the Jordan and gain victory and overcome darkness, the world, my sin and your sin, my doubts and my fears and your doubts and your fears. He is the Son of God. God proved that by demonstrating to John the Spirit of God descending upon Jesus. A lot of imagery there, a lot of symbolism there, a lot of importance there. In the end, it is the anointing of Jesus by the Holy Spirit to the ministry that he is about to embark on, which is bringing the world to repentance, forgiveness, and restoration with God. John was privileged to have that role, and he knew that role was more than he could ever imagine. He wasn't worthy of it. I believe he was a truly humble person, never putting himself first, but putting Christ first every step of the way. John didn't know who he was at the very beginning, who is the Messiah. But he knew that moment when Jesus was in the crowd and was baptized with the rest of the crowd, this person is the one I'm talking about. It's his road I've been building. It's his name I've been pronouncing. It's his repentance that I'm declaring. Jesus is described beautifully as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I can't get caught in this at the moment because this imagery and this truth really expands throughout all of John, so I'm not going to spend an entire rest of the message just talking about this idea of him being the Lamb of God. But it is really, really significant to the point in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says of him, For his sake, or excuse me, for your sake, for your individual sake, for you, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the sum and substance of what it means that he became the Lamb of God, is that he took on sin, was sacrificed on your behalf, that you might not bear the penalty of death for your own sin. But that you might enjoy the righteousness of god the fellowship of god a relationship with god being holy with god being made righteous by the blood of the lamb and that story of that moment of when christ gave his life is central not just to the book of john not just to the four gospels in the new testament not to the 27 books of the New Testament or just the 39 books of the Old Testament, but all of Scripture. It points us to that path, that way to reconciliation with God. It is always going to be through the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Never your own merit or your own goodness or your own work or your own whatever but always and only through the work of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God, as the one who took upon sin so that you might have life everlasting. You see, he is an overcoming God king on your behalf. I want to take us home with two quick thoughts. The first one being... Our goal today, just like John the Baptist's goal, is to make clear and to declare the greatness of Jesus Christ, to make him known. That was what John was all about, making Christ known, making him clearly the object of his life and ministry. What an experience we can learn from John. Because if what people know about us If it's not Christ, if it's not the glory of who he is, the glory of his sacrifice, the glory of his forgiveness, the glory of his mercy, if it's not Christ that we're letting the world know about through us, what are we letting the world know? Are we letting them know that we're a Bronco fan? Is that what people get from the conversation with us? Is it that we're obsessed with beauty and fashion? Is it we're obsessed with money? Is it we're obsessed with retirement? What are we obsessed with? What are we letting the world know through our actions and our conversations with them? This is where John has a beautiful way of teaching us. It needs to be about Christ. If they know us for any amount of time, they need to know about our lovely Lord and Savior. They need to know about the one whom I have hope. They need to know about the one who overcomes everything I face. what do they see in you? Someone who preaches at them? Someone who tells them that they're doing wrong, they need to do right? That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is hope and love and forgiveness from that wrong and the power to do what is right through Christ. What are we letting the people know about Christ through our lives? Are we showing them a path to Christ? Are we declaring the rightness about Christ that he's not? just a moral teacher that gives us good examples and encouragement. No, he condemns sin. He stands opposed to sin and offers redemption through faith and faith alone. There is so much packed into that. that I'm going to leave it at this. I'm going to simply read uh, some verses out of 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, and as I finish this, I'm going to close this in prayer. and I'm going to ask for that to be a meditative 30 seconds of silence where we focus on asking God individually in our own hearts, in our own way, what he needs to overcome in your life today so that you would have clarity of mission that your life declares Christ and Christ alone. Listen to these words of Peter out, out of 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 17, going through verse 21. And just, you can close your eyes and listen to this. You don't have to look it up. Just listen to these words of conviction and encouragement. Peter says, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds... He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him you are now believers in God, who raised him up from the dead and gave him glory so that you, so that you, so that your faith and hope are in God. Amen? Amen. I want you to take 30 seconds. And as the band comes up and they start singing, our prayer's done, but take that 30 seconds and really, really be honest with yourself. What does Christ need to overcome in your life today? Because I know he can do it. I know he has the power, the ability, and the desire to get rid of all that darkness, to get rid of all that sorrow, that pain, that suffering, that agony, that struggle with sin, and bring you to a beautiful, growing, strengthened relationship with Christ. Let's pray. Amen.